it's a great pleasure for me to to be here for this uh, conference. They gave me a broad title, the mission of the society. It's a classical title for the superior, so he can uh, he can talk a lot. So. <laughs> Uh, what we can say, the mission of the society is always the same. This mission is, uh, and to keep this mission, the society has to remain always the same, has to remain uh, what it is. Circumstances change, change a lot during the last few years. This year in particular, we will see. But the role of the society is always the same, is to upholding, defending tradition. And the providential role of the society is more and more clear every year. Of course, as a superior general, I am not the best person in the best position uh, to say that there is not another option. But uh, after the last motu proprio, Tradiciones Custodes, uh, the dismay of a lot of uh, Catholics linked to tradition, the society becomes more and more a point of reference, not only for our faithful, but also for people observing us uh, from outside. And uh, this conclusion is not because uh, we are better than the others. No, that's not what I meant. But it's because without a tradition kept in its integrality, people, they go nowhere. Sooner or later, uh, the lack of a doctrinal element of a liturgical element, of a moral element, will show up and it will bear consequences. So, I will try to talk, uh, to summarize a little bit the present situation of the society. First of all, we will talk about our present, current relation with Rome. Then I will give you Three reasons why the society, as I said, is becoming more and more a point of reference. Our, our communities are growing a lot all over the world. About our relation with Rome, what can we say? Because uh, the society had a long negotiation with Rome until 2017. It was a current subject of conversation. Uh, everybody was waiting. Uh, what was the next step? Uh, is the society going to be recognized? Uh, is the society going to obtain a canonical status, uh, a canonical acknowledgement in, uh, in the church, in the official church? So this long negotiation had a lot of ups and downs. In 2016 in particular, we heard for the first time from the mouth 
of uh, a bishop was uh, dealing with the society officially. Listen, after so many years, why should we impose you the council to accept the council? Since we don't ask people who are going to the parish if they accept the council, why should we, the Vatican, ask you to accept the council? So you see, we could get the impression that the acceptance of the council was not mandatory anymore. But then the following year, 2017, I don't know what happened, but out of tiredness, everybody was tired, especially also in the Vatican. Cardinal Müller, that now is giving a lesson of orthodoxy even to the Pope. But Cardinal Müller imposed to the society to accept everything, to accept the council, to accept the new mass, to accept all the teachings of the popes even after the council. In other terms, the, negoti the negotiation went back of 30 years, all on a sudden. A canonical solution, a canonical acknowledgement of the society was always submitted to a doctrinal declaration of the society, accepting all these elements. And still, economical acknowledgement is submitted to this uh, request. Of course, a declaration, a doctrinal declaration that we, we cannot sign. We couldn't sign and we cannot sign. So in 2018, we tried to start again a doctrinal discussion more free, not necessarily in view of, a, of an agreement, but to present freely, to achieve, to present freely our reasons, our question, question of faith, why uh, there are elements that we cannot accept, errors. We wanted to start again with the this, uh, this discussion, and at the same time we wanted to show that through this, this discussion we were recognizing the authority of Rome, of the Pope, because you don't discuss with an authority that you don't recognize. But actually they're not interested about this, at least for the time being. They answered us that the society has to find first a canonical status, then we can talk again about doctrine. Yes, but you see the problem, the contradiction. A canonical status is submitted to a, a doctrinal declaration that we cannot accept. So we got stuck 
we got stuck. But I stress this point. It's not the society that stopped this uh, dialogue. It's Rome. Rome, at the present moment, prefers to procrastinate to another day, another period, when the situation will be more mature, this doctrinal discussion. Why? Why this decision? But they realized, after so many years, that they didn't manage to convince us. And of course, they, they think that we cannot either convince them. So the discussion for them is not interesting. But for us, it's a question of faith. Ecumenism, to give you an example, is a question of faith. The kingship of our Lord, it's a question of faith. The liturgical problem, it's a question of faith. So, they prefer to wait, and we have to wait too. So, this issue is in the hands of God, our relation with Rome. We still have a relation, of course, but not on the doctrinal side. And for, for us, the doctrinal side is the main one, is <laughs> the hub of all the other problems. Everything is related to this. So we will, uh, we will wait patiently the occasion to start again with this discussion. Sooner or later, we will have to, to try again. And uh, our doctrinal position and our doctrinal uh, and the expression of our doctrinal position of tradition is going on. It's not because we don't discuss with, with Rome with Rome at the present moment that through our our publication, uh, our conferences, uh, we don't carry on the same uh, the same struggle. So, this particular point is in the hands of God. Uh, what about uh, the development of the society during the, these last few years? Many of our chapels, communities, all over the world, they had to, to welcome new faithful. Some uh, communities uh, now they have the double, and others even more of the faithful they had uh, two, three years ago. And there are even new communities that uh, they, they, they show up during the uh, COVID crisis. Why? Well, first of all, uh, it's quite easy to understand. The church were closed and the bishop scared. They imposed restrictions to their priests and to all the priests under their jurisdiction. 
under the authority, including priests saying the traditional mass. They impose, for instance, communion in the hands, for, for bathing, forbidding communion in the, on the tongue. So at the same time, our priests did all they could to keep uh, our churches open, to assist the faithful, to give the sacraments. We had burials in, the, in private homes during the lockdown, not here in the US. They tried to visit the, the faithful at the hospital, taking some risk also. Our priests, they were free from the authority of the local bishops. And, you know, in the society, our priests, they have this charisma, this ability to interpret laws, to implement restrictions uh, with, uh, I would say, a common sense. With common sense, and that uh, allowed, allowed, I think, a lot of good that the society could, uh, could do according to circumstances. Souls come before anything else. Suprema lex salus animarum. I would say, in one word, our priests were ready. The society was ready for this crisis. They knew already what to do in very different situations uh, the restrictions were different in any state in the country uh, the implementation of restriction also uh, didn't come at the same time everywhere but our priests they were they were ready they knew what to do already uh, I can say I'm, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of this. It's a great joy uh, to see, to perceive the, the zeal of our priest uh, during this crisis. So as a result, the society, as I said, had to welcome new faithful everywhere. And uh, in some new countries also, I mean countries where the, where the tradition was not known or very little, well, it exploded during, during this crisis of COVID, during the lockdown in particular. It's amazing uh, how God is using everything, even COVID. We were so scared of COVID. God was a God who allowed the COVID. Uh, he had uh, his purpose, allowing uh, this, uh, this virus. God knows how to draw out good even, even, from, uh, even from a virus, an illness. So we lost some priests. That's the cross, especially here. Eh? We lost, uh, I can say, one of our best priests, Father Bourmeau. It's a big loss. We have a certainly a new intercessor in heaven. At the same time, God blessed us through this cross. It is a lesson for the future. We are not going to make anything good 
with our human perspective only. The development of the society and the service that the society can provide to the entire church and to every soul doesn't depend just on our capacity, our abilities, our commitment. We have to, be, to keep faithful to our priesthood, to the heritage of the society of Bishop Lefebvre. And then divine providence will decide how, when, this development of the society, this triumph of, of uh, tradition, right, has to increase again. So I would say the main lesson of this, uh, of this event. And now there is another reason which is attracting new faithful to the society. It's a new reaction to the official teaching of the Pope, of Pope Francis in particular, of course. Pope Benedict represented the last effort and I would say also the last illusion to interpret the Council in continuity with, with tradition. He was really concerned about that. He was seeking a kind of harmony between uh, the period before the Council, the Council and this uh, new period, new era of the Church after the Council. That's why he tried, for instance, to put uh, the old mass and the new mass close one to each other in order that they could enrich each other, in order to show this continuity between old mass and new mass, for instance. Well, it didn't work, but most of all, we have to understand that Pope Francis doesn't feel this need anymore, doesn't feel this need at all. His teaching is clear and, I would say, a bit raw. He draws out the last conclusion of the real council. What the council, council really meant for the church is more and more clear. Of course, it was clear before also, but now it's becoming, it's becoming much more clear for everybody. On top of that, Pope Francis is touching morals. Amoris Laetitia is touching the doctrine of, on marriage. So, of course, lay people, faithful, they are much more sensitive to such a problem, such a new teaching, than another teaching about, uh, about more, so to speak, uh, intellectual matters. The problem of religious freedom, for instance, doesn't touch a normal lay people, normal faithful, as a problem concerning marriage. Even if everything is linked, of course, 
but people are more sensitive. And so the reaction is stronger. The awareness of the doctrinal problem is, uh, is growing among a lot of faithful. This new reaction, of course, is uh, attracting, is pushing souls and people to tradition. I would say they start to watch tradition with other eyes, with another sight. And by consequence, they watch the society, some persons, with other eyes. And then there is another re reason, a more recent one, that uh, is giving to the society some Paris the tenth. Uh, I don't say a new role, but is showing better and better what the society some Paris the tenth means to tradition, to the keeping of tradition. And of course, uh, this reason is the motu proprio traditionis custodes. So we have to spend, I think, a few words on this uh, important event. Unfortunately, because of the present crisis uh, linked to the vaccines and other problems, maybe we didn't pay attention enough to the meaning of this uh, motu proprio of last July. It doesn't affect uh, the society of Saint-Persetens uh, directly, it affects the Ecclesia Dei communities. And as a consequence of the new situation of the Ecclesia Dei community, uh, it has, of course, a repercussion on the society of Saint-Persetens. Allow me uh, a short for a world uh, on a personal basis because of course we are going to, to talk about uh, the Ecclesia Dei communities on a personal basis I have nothing against uh, Ecclesia Dei people or Ecclesia Dei priests I do regret their situation but we have to say when there is an error at the beginning at the basis sooner or later that error will bear consequences. 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later. To give an example, it's like the marriage of two young people, two teenagers. They want to get married very young. They are full of illusions, full of love, they say and they don't listen uh, to anybody, especially to the parents. They have no idea of, the, of uh, the responsibility they are going to assume. And of course, they, they get married. And uh, many times, usually, uh, it doesn't work. Sooner or later, a big problem can show up. Why? Because they didn't realize what they were doing. They don't listen. Sorry for this kind of uh, 
comparison. <laughs> but I think the Ecclesiastes communities, they find themselves in the same situation. They are bearing now the consequences of an error they did at the beginning. Of course, we're not here to judge their intentions, but they made a mistake, a big mistake. But again, I have nothing against them on a personal basis. But the paradox is that the Pope himself, if you allow me to use this expression, looks fed up with them. The Pope who is supposed to protect them, it seems doesn't stand them anymore. First of all, you know that uh, the Ecclesia Dei as such, as a commission that was meant to protect all the groups, faithful and priests, linked to the traditional mass, but they, who, they, they didn't want to, to follow the Society of St. Pius X, well, this commission was meant to protect them. And it was created in 9,088. Three years ago, it was suppressed. Not last July, already three years ago. Why? I give you the official explanation. Because the idea of this commission was to reintegrate them in the mainstream of the church and after 30 years they esteemed that they were reintegrated enough. So they didn't need anymore in Rome a special commission protecting them. This is the official explanation. So we still call them, them Ecclesia Dei communities but uh, this name doesn't correspond anymore to a particular reality. Three years later, last uh, July, this motu proprio, which shows that not everybody was well reintegrated. You can see the Pope is not happy at all, especially if you read the letter of the Pope, which goes with the, with the motu proprio, as an explanation of the motu proprio, giving us the mens, the deep thought, the deep idea of the Pope. He's not happy at all. Why? And here we touch the heart of the problem. Pope Francis stressed that he cannot stand anymore the instrumental use of the old missal. What does it mean? He doesn't uh, tolerate anymore that the old missal is uh, used as the expression 
of a spirituality, of a priesthood, of an idea of church, different from the one of, Vatic of, uh, of, the, of the Council. It is strictly forbidden to celebrate the Old Mass as the expression of a different spirituality. This is the heart of the problem. We go back to the doctrinal problem. A question of faith. In some particular situation, you could still celebrate the Old Mass, provided it's not a parish, and most of all, provided it is clear that don't you stick anymore to an idea of a tradition different from the one of the Second Council of the Vatican. I can I just uh, read a few quotations of this letter of the Pope of last July. I'm saddened that the instrumental use of Missale Romanum is often characterized by rejection not only of the liturgical reform, but of the Vatican Council itself, claiming, without, uh, cl claiming with unfounded and unsustainable assertions that it betray the tradition and the true church. This is what, it, what we think. And maybe even among Ecclesia Dei people, communities, somebody, somebody was uh, thinking in the same way. Hopefully. Whoever wishes to celebrate with devotion according to, the, to earlier forms of the liturgy can find in the Reformed Roman Missal, according to Vatican Council II, all the elements of the Roman Rite, in particular the Roman Canon, which constitutes one of its more distinctive elements. Well, if the Old Mass and the New Mass are the same, what is the problem? A final reason for my decision is this. Ever more plain in the words and attitudes of many is the close connection between the choice of celebration according to the liturgical books prior to Vatican Council II and the rejection of the Church and her institution in the name of what is called the true Church tradition. The distort use our that has been made of this faculty is contrary to the intention that led to granting the freedom to celebrate the Mass with the Missale Romano of 62. And of course, Dulcis in Fundo. I take the firm decision to abrogate all the norms, instructions, permissions, and customs that precede the present motu proprio and declare that the liturgical books promulgated by the saintly pontiffs, Paul VI and John Paul II, 
in conformity with the decree of Vatican Council II, constitute the unique expression of the lex orandi of the Roman rite. Well, it's quite clear. So, in other terms, the traditional mass as the expression, I repeat, I stress this point, as the expression of what we stick to, the tradition of the Church, is not allowed anymore. Why, we, we could wonder, why in Rome, eventually, they took this decision? I think they felt that something went wrong. Traditional mass was allowed in order to promote communion, as they say, to enrich the two masses, each other, one another. This is the intention, most of all, of Pope Benedict. But they realized that the old mass, the celebration of the old mass, generates another conception of liturgy, of the church, of the priesthood, of Christian life. And so, as a conclusion, they had to go back. They had, they had to withdraw the permission they had given. If you want to... Can, we can use another expression. The old mass is, uh, cannot be used anymore as a banner, as the banner of tradition. But the problem is that, that intrinsically, the traditional mass is pushing toward tradition. If a priest is committed, if a priest uh, enters into this rite, into its meaning, sooner or later he will question, he will question himself, he will question the council. So it's more and more clear that the intention, I think now is, is important, eh, to look backwards all the concessions, the indults, that during these uh, 50 years they've been made to people who wanted to stick to tradition, concerning liturgy in particular, they were a kind of homeopathy. You know homeopathy? You try to heal an illness through the same principle of the illness. Like in the vaccine, but this is another, another issue. <laughs> so you use the cause of the illness in order to, you give something, you give, you give in a little bit in order to heal what you consider as an illness, as a problem. But you know, homeopathy doesn't work all the time. Eh? Uh, we, can we, we can quote 
Bishop Rush, you know, who is Bishop Rush? He's not just a free thinker, so his thought is an official thought, an official, I would say, interpretation of this reality. Bishop Rush is the present prefect of the Congregation of Worship. What is he stated a few, few weeks ago? That Pope John Paul II, Ecclesia Dei, and Benedict XVI, Summorum Pontificum, I quote, were established in order to encourage the Lefebvreist, above all, to return to unity with the Church. Homeopathy. I give you something, but the perspective in my mind is not to allow tradition. It's not because I believe in your tradition. I reject this tradition. My purpose is to convince you to join the mainstream of the Church. And I still quote, it is clear that Traditionis Custodes is saying, okay, this experiment has not been entirely successful. Thanks God. And so, and so, time is over. And so, let us go back to what the Second Vatican Council required of the Church. Time is over. Now, we reach such an extent that if we still allow the celebration, freely the celebration of the Dantine Mass, the bad effect, so to speak, in their perspective, is stronger, is going to be stronger than the good one. It didn't work. It couldn't work. So it was a parenthesis. In other terms, it was a parenthesis. It was just a question of time. So for Rome, all these adults, they've been a kind of, as I say, of homeopathic drug in order to drag people into the mainstream of the church. And uh, for Ecclesia Dei people, well, was was a mean to give them the illusion they, they could keep tradition uh, without being uh, persecuted. What can we say as a conclusion? This use of the Roman Missal or the old Missal as uh, Bishop Rush is describing it, this use is instrumental. This is an instrumental use. The reproach that they are making to the ones that through the traditional missal, they, they draw out new conclusion about doctrine and they they are willing to uphold through that missile a doctrinal 
statement. That's not an instrumental use. That's re it, it, it corresponds to reality because the old mass is a banner of tradition. But this use of the Roman Missal by the Vatican has been an instrumental use. It's not worthy of the Church. It's not worthy of the Church to play with liturgical books. So, as a conclusion, traditional Mass is our banner. Because it's the banner of, of redemption, of the cross, of the only possible way to sanctify our souls. We prefer to die rather than to lose this banner. And uh, Father Rutledge touched this point. I think it is important to stress it again. This banner is unique, not only for ourselves, but for the entire Church. It's not just a privilege for the society of Pius X. The Catholic Church has only one Mass, because there is only one redemption. And this redemption was expressed, and more, not only expressed, was uh, carried on throughout the history through, uh, by this Mass. That's why we stick to this Mass. And we want this Mass not only for us, not only for our churches, our chapels, for the entire Church. You see, they accuse us quite often that we have lost the sense of the church. Because we build our churches, the biggest one, the biggest seminary, yes, but you build all this for you and don't care, you don't care about the church. This is not true. This is not true. If we build still the biggest church and the biggest seminary, that's for the church. And if we keep this mass as unique, that's for the church. Sooner or later, we cannot choose the time, unfortunately. Only God can do that. Sooner or later, this Mass will become, again, the only Mass in the Church. Why? In one word, because there is only one redemption. So the 16th of July was the end, sad end, of a long experiment, 30, 40 years of experiment. A last consideration, how could Bishop Lefebvre take the right decision at the right moment? It's easy for us, 50 years later, to say, ah, yes, he was right. Yeah, yes. Back in the 80s, Back in the 70s, how could Bishop Lefebvre took the right decision at the right moment? How? We see the fruit, we see the result now. 
It was not so clear at the time. Well, I think the explanation is quite simple. There is a supernatural gift, this capacity to be moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, even alone, even against everybody, isolated. This sensitivity to what, what is really the will of God, it is a sign, I would say, infallible sign of holiness. It is clear more and more now than it was at the time. As I said, we live present and we live the future to divine providence and we are sure that divine providence, providence as well has never abandoned us in our struggle, fight for tradition, is not going to abandon us in the middle of this new crisis. Thank you for your attention.